Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I hope all of you are staying safe and well out there. Remember, six feet from the speakers, please. Tonight's show is just what I needed to perk me up, because with this traditionally being Master's Week, this is the first time in 20 years that I'm not walking those hallowed grounds right now. I've got my Master's gear on, but it's like I'm all dressed up with nowhere to go. So I was in a a bit of a state of mourning today until I realized who I get to talk to tonight. I've got four of my favorite people on the planet joining me on Next on the T, starting with legendary broadcaster Mr. Ben Wright. Tonight is the 17th time that I get to share the airways with Mr. Wright. Can you imagine that? I mean, how lucky am I? He's a wonderful man that has come to mean a great deal to me. Tonight, we're going to reflect on Master's past. We'll talk about some of his great calls and some perspective from him on some of the great Masters championships that he's got an opportunity to witness. I can't wait for him to join me tonight. He'll be along in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from another great friend, Matthew Lawrence. One of the themes of tonight's show, folks, is going to be three of the majors being moved to August through November. So a much different time frame and a much different season for them to be played in. I'm going to get Matthew's thoughts on that. Plus, he's a big Tiger Woods fan, so I want to get his thoughts on the impact that the the changes, the change in season, the change of time of year that Tiger is going to be playing. What's that going to have on his back? Does he think that Tiger is going to be able to play well in a short period of time when the weather's a little bit cooler? I don't know. We'll see what Matthew thinks. We'll also talk about his show, Backspin Golf, which you hear me talking about all the time here on the show. Matthew will join me at the bottom of the hour. Following him, I'm going to get a uh, return visit from one of the most decorated instructors in the game, and that's Bill Abrams. I'll ask Bill for some more drills that we can do while we're all stuck at home, plus what his warm-up routine is and what he recommends to his students. Bill will join me about 45 minutes from now. And if all that wasn't enough, we'll round out tonight's show with my all-time favorite author, who also happens to be the original producer on the Golf Channel when they got started back in 1995, and that's Keith Hirschland. I want to get Keith's thoughts on why we're watching reruns of the 2019 Texas Valero Open instead of highlights or even complete rounds for that matter for some of the all-time great majors. I'd much rather be seeing rounds of the majors going back to when they first started televising them instead of replays from last year's tournaments. We'll hear what he thinks might be standing in the way of us being able to do that. Plus, Keith has a new book coming out in a few weeks titled Murphy, Murphy in the Case of Serious Crisis. Can't wait to read that book and can't wait to have Keith with me. He'll join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I typically start by saying hello to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence, but with Matthew joining me a little bit later on the show, we'll save that for then. 
But please check out Mitch's podcast. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at golftripx.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm as well. Mitch and his co-host Darren Bunch take you around the U.S. and Canada, some of the great places that you can go stay and play. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Go online to GolfTripX.com and check out their podcast. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their new spring collection out right now. And their new spring sweaters, polos, and pants are all fantastic. You're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Angel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing them out on the Champions Tour. Check them out online at BobbyJones.com and enter the coupon code ONTHET to save 20% at checkout. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade Sim, featuring the new Sim driver designed with a radical new head shape to make the driver both fast and forgiving where you need it most on the downswing. Sim irons with an improved speed bridge and echo dampening system to deliver distance irons with a forge-like feel. And the Sim Fairway Woods with a low CG to help you hit it higher and a V-steel sole to launch it even easier out of any lie. Get fit for Sim throughout your entire bag and experience the effect it's going to have on your entire game. Check it out online at TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. All right, folks, now back with me is one of my all-time favorite guests and really all-time favorite people for that matter, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. Every single time I say that, it's hard to believe that a legend like Mr. Wright is going to be with me. And like I said at the top of the show, 17 times now. Because quite frankly, in my mind, he's the best broadcaster in the history of the game. His magnificent style made every tournament he did infinitely more compelling because of the way he painted the scenes for him. And as we enter what, like I say, what would have been Masters Week, who can forget the outstanding job he did doing those tournaments for decades? His phrase, that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ear in 1975, set up broadcast partner Henley Longhurst moments later when he called the greatest putt that he's ever seen in his life when Nicholas hold that 40-footer on 16. And as I always like to remind everybody, it was Mr. Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir, to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicholas's eagle putt on the 15th hole during the final round of the 1986 Masters. He used that phrase two holes and 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used it when uh, Nicholas made his birdie putt on 17. But Mr. Wright put his stamp all over the history of golf and golf broadcasting for nearly three decades, and I am so honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Wright. How are you? Um, You know, I'm almost speechless at the generosity uh, with which you greet me every time. You taste 17 times, and you just excel yourself time after time. Mr. Mascaro. I'm not worthy of it, but anyhow, <laughs> lovely to be with you. <laughs> oh, I can't thank you enough, Mr. Wright. And, and when you and I were communicating uh, yesterday before the show, you were telling me how much healthier and better you're feeling nowadays. Talk about why. It's, that's uh, one of the best things I've heard in a long time. Well, you know, uh, Chris, I'm nearly 88, which is... Uh, ripe old age, and um, I had a a brush with the Grim Reaper in the closing months of last year, and I went to my uh, normal uh, checkup at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where I have a, a doctor, Glenn Alexander, who is 
not only a fabulous doctor, but he's a, a fabulous golfer. He was 11-time uh, champion of the Rochester Country Club, which is a great Arthur Tillinghast horse. And he and his cohort, uh, Dr. Fry, who's same age as me, uh, diagnosed me with uh, diastolic heart failure and put me on an aggressive diuretic program. In three weeks, I lost 30 pounds of fluid from my lungs and legs. And I was like a new man. And I shall forever be thankful. The third time that Mayo has has saved my life, you know, and I've gone to drink, drink. Thankfully, I couldn't breathe Uh, then. I couldn't breathe, Chris. Uh, couldn't breathe. Wouldn't walk twenty yards without being out of breath. Now I'm on a new step, cross trainer, uh, recumbent cross trainer, and I'm doing uh, thirty-one hundred steps in twenty minutes, which is not bad for an old guy like me. Well, that sure is refreshing news, and I'm so excited that. You're feeling better, and, and I'm sure, um, you know, uh, not only feeling better, looking better, and, uh, and you know, every day has got to be a heck of a lot better than what it was for the time being. So good for you for being up and around and healthy and, you know, doing the, the recumbent bike. That's, that's awesome. Thank um, you very much. And Mr. Wright, I mean, just with what's going on in, in the world right now, everything with the, with the, uh, coronavirus and staying home and all that sort of stuff. It, you know, and I'm a couple of weeks shy of my 55th birthday, but I've never seen anything like what we're seeing going on in the world right now. How about you? Have you seen anything like this before? Never, never. I'm, I'm old, but not quite old enough to have seen the uh, Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919 which killed literally millions of people. But this is the most horrible and miserable experience that I think anybody could wish, wish to avoid. Uh, it's just awful. And uh, I, 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 my heart goes out to all of those people who've been bereaved in, in these awful circumstances. And I have a a very um, probably politically incorrect hatred of the Chinese Communist Party. I better not go on anymore. Now <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's talk a, a, something a little happier. And and um, as I said at the top of the show during the intro, you know this is what would normally be Masters Week, and right now it's the first time in about twenty years I haven't been at Augusta National during this week and yesterday we learned that they're going to reschedule the tournament for early November. Wanted to get your thoughts. What do you think about the tournament being moved to the fall? Well, you know something I I don't, I don't know whether you know but they closed the course normally uh, on May the 1st and virtually plow it all up and do it, do it all again and they opened for the members in November. That's normal uh, goings on. Uh, 
And uh, I think it'll be absolutely magnificent because the golf course is going to be totally pristine. I mean, there's going to be no play on it before the Masters. It's going to be terrific. But, of course, as you pointed out, it's not going to be as warm as it normally is. And uh, that might be uh, against Tiger Woods. Uh, I hope it isn't because I would uh, give my eye teeth to see him defend the championship uh, successfully. But uh, anyhow, that's another matter, isn't it? Yes, but you know, to to your point, right? What do you think the impact is going to be? I mean, I would think the playing conditions are going to be different than what the guys are used to. It's going to be colder. I mean, you know, I, I live here in Atlanta, and right around uh, Halloween every year is when it starts to get cold. So it's going to be cold mm-hmm. for those guys playing in the morning. It's going to be colder than what they're used to. I got to imagine the ground and the greens are going to feel and play a little bit different. What are your thoughts? How do you think the course is going to be? There's another thing. The sun is not going to be in the same place at all. And in fact, um, you know, it's going to be a totally different sun for a start. It's, uh, it's not going to be as high in the sky. So maybe, for instance, when the sun is in your face, when you play 15, it may be a heck of a lot worse in November than it would be in April when it's much, much higher in the sky. And uh, it could be very difficult indeed. <clears throat> and I would think that the greens, you know, they're already legendary for how fast they are. But I would think the ground is going to be harder. And I would think the greens are going to roll that much faster. I mean, they may see a completely different Augusta National than they've ever seen yes. before. Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, I've never played it in November. Uh, I always uh, played it before the Masters with uh, with Summerall and Frank Kinnian and Horde Hardin. Uh, I played there a great deal, and it's going to be totally different, as you say. And it's going to be, uh, I would say, the ground will be firmer. But you might have serious cold weather or even serious cold rain. You know, it's going to be, as you said so rightly, it's going to be totally different golf. Mr. Wright, like I mentioned uh, in your intro, um, Tom Weisskopf, and going back to the 75 Masters and, and your statement, yes. that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ears. I was curious, yes. because of your responsibility to the broadcast, were you able to watch Nicholas's putt on 16 go in, or did you just hear the roar afterwards? No, I could watch it with the naked eye. Um, because, you know, my Tower 15 was uh, back right of the green as you approach it. So I could spin round and be almost on top of the play at 15 uh, on the green. So I saw every inch of that. And I love uh, Henry Longhurst 
remark about making a little evil music of his own uh, after he said it was the greatest part he'd ever seen. And uh, definitely, I mean, I I saw every inch of it, Chris. And I think one of the things that we don't get the appreciation for looking at the the highlights is Nicholas's playing partner dumped three balls in the water on 16. So it, it sort of played out over a longer period of time than, like I say, the highlights uh, do justice to. What was that feeling yes. like as, as you know, Weisskopf and Miller are on 15 and then Nicholas is waiting and he had a bad shot on 16 if it obviously would hold the pipe. But what was that scene like? Well, I think it killed my friend Tom Weisskopf. Uh, I, I think it absolutely killed him. When that putt went in, and with all the consequent noise and everything like that, and he was a man, you know, who always uh, had to experience Nicholas just beating him. And they were from the same city, of course, of Columbus, Ohio. And I think that nothing more destroyed Tom Weisskopf than, than that part. Uh, I, you know, Weisskopf was four times runner-up at Augusta National. And um, I, I think that it, I would say that more than any other trope that Nicholas played broke Tom Weisskopf's heart. Well, Weisskopf's an interesting guy to me, an interesting player. He, he seemed to have all the talent in the world, beautiful golf swing. But was it a, yes. a confidence thing that, that kept him back? Was it intimidation, you know, anytime Nicholas was in contention? What do you think held him back from winning more majors? Well, I think Tom held himself back a lot of the time. Uh, he was a very wild man, and, uh, you know, but he's become a very different man now. But, um, I really think the intimidation factor was the uh, the most instrumental uh, feature of his failure to be as great as he should have been. You know, only one major, the British Open at the Royal Troon in 1973, is ridiculous for a man who had one of the greatest swings I ever saw if not the best. And, um, you know, it, it's, the game is such a mind game, Chris. And, um, you know, it just, it, it got on top of him. And I remember when he actually beat Nicholas in the Canadian Open uh, at um, Royal Montreal. And he made a birdie to Nicholas par in the first hole of sudden death and Weisskopf went totally bananas I mean he, he behaved like a total crazy man and because he was so delighted to to have finally got one over on Nicholas and uh, I, I shall never get that as long as I live either Mr. Wright, another one of the great players from that era was Lee Trevino, a guy who won six majors. He won the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, and the PGA Championship twice each. 
But his best finish in a Masters were a couple of 10th place finishes, including one in, in 85 when he was 45 years old. And, and it seemed like all of his best performances at Augusta National were from 78 to 89. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but they all came after Clifford Roberts passed away. And I know Trevino struggled with the club policies and minorities and, and that sort of played into, I don't know if it was played into his head or his decision about whether he wanted to play at a, at the Masters or not. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. Why do you think it was so so much later in his career that he finally started to play well then? Well, I think what well, you've hit it all on, uh, you know, you've hit it all on the head. <laughs> he, he felt uncomfortable uh, because of the social and color uh, problems involved in playing at Augusta National. And I don't think he ever felt comfortable. I mean, he would change in the change his shoes in the parking lot. He wouldn't go in uh, into the clubhouse uh, unless he had to. It, you know, it was uh, entirely a mental thing. And um, I remember vividly, he took an 11 at the 15th hole when I was announcing. And he really hit several balls into the water as if he didn't give a totally damn, you know. I mean, he he was just totally out of, out of his element at that uh, golf club. Too long, alas. And Mr. Wright, I know you and Seve Ballesteros had a great relationship. He had a couple of big wins at Augusta National 1980-83. We're a couple of days short of what would have been his 63rd birthday. And as a a player, I mean, he could drive. He was driving the ball over 300 yards back in the days of persimmon woods and wound golf balls and had an unbelievable short game on top of that. Talk about what made him such a wonder to watch. Well, um, he, I think Ben Crenshaw, who himself was, a, a, you know, a double winner and a wonderful double winner, he said that Sammy imagined more uh, golf shots than the rest of us are capable of if put together. He, he can manufacture more shots than the rest of the players in the game put together. And I think that was what was so tremendous about Seve. I mean, he was not the most accurate of of drivers. He was not the most accurate player. Goodness, he conjured miracles at every turn. And that was what made him so magical. Uh, He was a very volatile person, you know. And uh, I think that volatility was part of his makeup and made him such a dynamic uh, character. Uh, I, I found him eternally fascinating, Chris. And Mr. Wright, prior to Jack Nicholas's win in 86, Gary Player was the oldest Masters champion. He was 42 at the time when he won in 1978. That was his third Masters uh, championship. But, and he came back, you know, storming back seven strokes down at the beginning of the day. And I know 
that you've known Mr. Player since uh, he was practically a boy. Was it hard for you broadcasting that event and trying to stay objective and focused when he was making the incredible charge he made on the back nine? No, not at all. You know, um, I I never was one to play favorites, and um, I regarded that as a very important facet of broadcasting that you you must not play favorites and. Uh, I think I managed to avoid it, but of course Gary was a very close friend and still is, I might add. And uh, I was very glad to see him do so well because he had so little to go with uh, in the first place, and he made himself by sheer hard work. And I love the fact that it was. Hard work that got him what he achieved, which was incredible for a little guy. I mean, let's face it, he's a little guy. And, and, uh, he, he was like Hogan, another little guy who, when they started, hit nothing but duck hooks. And they both made themselves by virtue of their hard work. And, and that's why I adore Hogan and just as much little Gary Player. Mr. Ray, one of the things that I've talked to Mr. Player about is the longevity that he and Mr. Nicholas had. When you look at Nicholas and Player, they were competitive in majors, particularly at the Masters, all the way into their late 50s. Nicholas finished sixth when he was 58 years old. But when you look at yes. Mr. Palmer, Mr. Palmer missed the cut in 68 and was really never a factor in the Masters or a major after that. And all of, all of his major victories came between 1958 and 1964. So the major run was a pretty short one. Why, why do you think that Mr. Palmer's longevity wasn't as long as player Nicholas or maybe someone like Sam Sneeds were? You know, that's a, it's a mystery to me. It, but of course, he was overwhelmed by Jack Nicholas. I mean, there's little doubt about that. But um, I'm, I'm amazed. You're, you're, you know, I remember him winning the Spanish Open at La Manga Campo de Golf in 1973. And he made eagle at the 72nd hole, which was uh, par five. And he went totally crazy, like Nick, uh, like Weisskopf had at Canadian Open, you know, to have got them a monkey off his back. But uh, I, I think, you know, Nicholas, God bless him, he had that ability to just kill off the opposition uh, by the fierceness of his uh, competitive nature. Mr. Wright, one more before I let you go, and I uh, just wanted to get an update from you on your course, Cliff Valley up there in Travelers Rest, South Carolina, and and um, looking ahead, I hope the opportunity comes for you to to have the Ben Wright Invitational up in Crystal Mountain in uh, in Michigan. Talk about your course, and then uh, hopefully your tournament. Well, um, they dropped me at Crystal Mountain, uh, so I don't. 
go there any longer. But thankfully, <clears throat> excuse me, I have the Ben Wright International Challenge Cup for Meals on Wheels in Spartanburg, uh, South Carolina. At the Country Club of Spartanburg, which is a great Donald Ross course, restored to its original and the Carolina Country Club. And um, it's the Cliff Valley going gangbusters because, as you well know, one of the few things that people can do is, is play golf. Although it's once or a card, um, but, the, you know, the golf course has been doing land office business since this terrible thing started and... Uh, uh, you know, it's a pretty darn good thing for the game of golf that it hasn't been put out of bounds like practically everything else in life. Well, Mr. Wright, as I've said every time you've joined me on the show, it's an incredible privilege to get to spend time with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again real soon. I I love being with you, Chris. You, as long as I can keep my marbles enough to put a few words together, I'll be with you. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Mr. Wright, stay safe, stay healthy, and I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Yes, and you stay safe too, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wright. That's the legendary Mr. Ben Wright, and uh, it just doesn't get much better than that, folks. Getting to spend time with him and, and listen to his perspective and the stories and the events that he got to be a part of are always something that uh, that gives me a huge thrill, and it's uh, it's always exciting knowing that uh, when uh, whenever he's going to be on, that whole day is exciting for me. It's sort of an anticipation thing where I get to look forward all day long to getting to spend some more time with a legend like him, like I said at, uh, at the beginning, he's a, he's a very dear man and he's very dear to me. And, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that he is healthy and staying healthy and, and getting better than w where he was the last time we spoke. So, and I hope that that just, that trend continues. And I look, look forward to getting him back on the show as quickly as I possibly can. All right. Before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan golf company. Now folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since you're know, going back to the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth PTX Pro or Edge irons. Go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan woods, irons, and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made woods, irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of golf equipment, bags, and accessories online at BenHoganGolf.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me is one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and people on the planet, and that's Matthew Lawrence. You guys hear me talking about Matthew's show, Backspin Golf, every week at the top of the show, because it's fantastic, first of all, 
and it's the best way to start your Sunday morning. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or download the WLXG app. If you're walking around the house, running out to the store, taking a drive, whatever it is you're going to do, you're not going to miss a moment of the show if you're doing it right there on your smartphone. The show airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We refer to Matthew now as an award winner because a few weeks ago, the Kentucky section of the PGA of America recognized Matthew as the 2020 Media Representative of the, of the Year for his great contributions to the game. And I am very honored that I get to have an award winner like Matthew back on the show with me again tonight. Hey, Matthew, how are you, my friend? Oh, I, I don't. I don't. First of all, Ben Wright and, and then me, there's something seriously wrong here, Chris. I mean, I, I appreciate your your kind words, but but for me to follow Ben Wright is uh, it's the the highest level of absurdity. But I appreciate <laughs> the chance to talk to you. Uh, what are you uh, talking yes, about? You're an award uh, winner. Yes, yes I, I know, and I remind everybody of that uh, four or five times a day. As a matter of fact, I got a beautiful. Uh, I think you saw a picture of it. A beautiful kind of shadow box uh, award with this, this plaque is gorgeous and I had a chain put on it and I kind of wear it around my neck like Flav of Flav <laughs> now um, just one you know I, I might pop in you know we're all going through drive through now so I'll just have it on when I go through the drive through at Wendy's just to you know just to see what they'll <laughs> say <laughs> But, you know, I remain humble, as you know. As always. Absolutely. As always. As always. So, thanks for having me. For the one or two listeners who don't already know, and they really should know because it's a huge deal, tell those folks what the honor was all about. And, and then on top of that, getting to receive it in front of Mitch, right? Your Mitch, your father-in-law, your family came up to, to check it out. Talk about that night. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was one of the most special days. Um, my brother Mitch lives in, uh, Conway, South Carolina, outside Myrtle Beach. And, uh, a few months, I want to say maybe in October or November, uh, I got an email from the Kentucky section of the PGA saying that I had been nominated for this award for the 2020 Media Representative of the Year. Award, and I was very honored that I had been nominated. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. And um, then, when I found out by email that I had won the award, I also found out that the ceremony—I uh, was going to get the award at the the meeting, the annual meeting of the Kentucky PGA, which fell on my birthday. And I have a twin brother. You know, he always tries to get the limelight from me. It was his birthday, too. It just so turns out. <laughs> and and uh, we had spoken uh, to try to figure out how we could spend. This was a big birthday for the two of us. We're very old. I'm not going to say how old we are, but we're very old. And we were trying to figure out if we could spend it together. And it just was impossible. I couldn't, with all the work that I'm doing, uh, my two boys were 16 and 13. I couldn't do it. And Mitchell couldn't figure out a way to make it happen on our birthday. And so we made plans to, over the summer, 
pick a day, a weekend, when uh, we would just call it our birthday. And the tea was going to come up and we were going to go up to French Lick for the weekend to the incredible resort there and play golf all weekend and just say it was our birthday. So then uh, I told him that I had won the award and, you know, that I really wished he could be with me. And so anyway, to make a long story a little bit shorter, I went to the the meeting. Uh, there were a ton of people there, which I also didn't realize was going to happen. And they gave out, you know, some of their other awards for the top professional of the Kentucky section and different things. And uh, when I walked up to the table where I was going to sitting, uh, I sat down and somebody tapped me on my shoulder and I turned around and it was my father-in-law who lives in Florida now. And he was there and he surprised me. And we've spent many, many an hour on the golf course together. And then I, I really was shocked he was there. And then uh, a minute later, I turned around to my left and looked and Mitchell was standing next to me. And, uh, my wife, Shannon, had kind of been in on the whole thing. And, uh, you know, here I go. I do this every time I'm on your show, Chris, and it really bothers me. I get choked up. Somewhere <laughs> along the way, but um, it was one of one of the best birthdays that, and we've had a lot of them that we've ever had. Just being together, uh, you know, golf. I said this to you before. Golf, everything in my life uh, that's meaningful has come from golf, except for the friendships I had before I started playing. I was thirty-one when I started playing, but. Everything is a direct result of me learning the game of golf and playing all the friendships that I have uh, for many, many years. My wife, I met at our charity golf tournament here in Lexington uh, many years ago. My two boys are a result of me playing golf. Uh, and like I said, just the incredible friendship you have been right on. Um, I had the privilege of being with Ben at many celebrity tournaments. And I mean, just to hear his voice, Ben, again, there is not a finer gentleman anywhere in the world than Ben Wright. And I have so many of those friendships, long lasting, deep friendships and newer ones of just a few years like you, all because of the game of golf and um, being recognized by the by the Kentucky PGA was, you know, uh, beyond, it was a, a huge day for me because I, there's no way I could ever repay the game of golf for what it's given. And, and to that end, Matthew, I mean, you recognize largely and correct me if I'm wrong here, but for, for your show backspin golf and, and the, and the great service that it does in conjunction with, I think some of your sponsors, because you, you you do a lot with uh, some of the local um, municipalities, mm -hmm. the golf courses and stuff like that. But you give back so much to the game of golf. So for everything it's given you, you've given back. And this is sort of a lifetime sort of achievement thing as the, I think the game saying thank you for everything that you do for it. Well, I mean, that's awfully nice of you to say. But like I said, there's no way. Um, you know, I mean, it's given, it really has given me everything. 
I look at my sons who are 16 and 13. Um, now, uh, my, my 16 year old is a, just a tremendous football player. Uh, and he used to go, I used to take the boys when they were younger out to the golf course. Uh, Everett, who is now driving the 16 year old, he, he is as good a driver as he is because I used to let him drive my golf cart, uh, starting when he was about nine. And I'd let them hit shots if nobody was behind me. And, uh, but they haven't, it's been two or three years because they've been concentrating on other sports. Everett and I went out to Man of War Golf, our, the incredible practice facility we have here in Lexington, the best of any place I've ever been. And I said to Everett one day, you want to go hit some golf balls? He said, yeah. And I was shocked actually. And just standing there with him, watching him, you know, try to find the swing. Uh, he's grown about seven inches since the last time he hit golf balls. So he's got to kind of find it again. But, you know, we, as we know, there's no greater game for a father and son or a father and daughter yeah. to play than golf. And he's, he really wants to, uh, you know, hit balls with me. And we went to the putting green, played some putting games. Uh, it's just, and you know, the funny thing is, Chris, I've said this before. The funny thing is where I grew up and Mitch grew up in New York at the time we did, we used to kick the crap out of guys that played golf. I mean, you got, you got to be kidding. I mean, we played four sports. You got to remember back then golf was not cool and it, we didn't have public courses where I grew up in New York. So if you played golf, it meant you belonged to a country club. And those guys were like, are you kidding? We used to go into, we used to go into the city and play pickup basketball. Uh, you know, and then these guys would say, Hey, you want to go with my dad and me and play golf? And we'd like kick the crap out of just on general terms. <laughs> You know, I mean, but the thought of of one day, you know, of golf playing such a huge role in my life, uh, and it was my brother Mitch um, who moved to L.A. about five years before I did, and I called him one day and I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm going out to the golf course." I went, what you're doing? What? And we, you know, <laughs> I kind of blasted him for it, and then when I moved out there. Uh, I started to play because he was playing and everybody else was playing. And, um, you know, that's, that's how it all got started. It's just funny how life works sometimes as we both know. <laughs> so Matthew, let's, let's switch gears for a minute. And, and with everything going on right now with the coronavirus and, and I know one thing that's driving you nuts that also has me scratching my head is really the, the lack of good programming on the golf channel prior to this week. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know who they think is, is interested in tuning into the second round of the Texas Valero open from, you know, 2019 or 2018. So with all the great you know, tournaments in the history, you would think you could do better. Well, uh, I guess you saw a tweet that I put up one day because <laughs> every, it seemed like every time I turned to put the guide on to the golf channel, it, that's what it was. First round of the WGC Dell Match Play Championship from last year. Second round, third, and then four days later, first round of the WCG. Ma and I'm going, 
<laughs> we have complete coverage of the 1947 Masters. That, well, not the Masters. We only had it that recently, but I mean, we have all we have thousands of hours of content that we could be looking at. Uh, it's you know, the, it's going on in other sports too. I looked at ESPN. I think it was last night, and they or the day before, and they were showing some baseball game from last year. And I'm like, we, what are you doing? At least if we don't have live sports now, show us things that have some kind of value. I mean, great, the Valero Texas Open last year. What a great tournament! I mean, just give us something that that we need right now. So yes, I get a little <laughs> upset sometimes. You know, I might, I might throw throw something at the TV when that guy comes up. <laughs> um, Matthew, I know what a what a huge Tiger Woods fan you are, and I was curious to get your thoughts now with with the three of the four majors. We know the Open Championship has been canceled for this year, but now you got three of the four mm-hmm. majors that have been rescheduled to August through November, and we kind of squeeze the Ryder Cup still in there unless they reschedule that as well. But um, <laughs> yeah. With, yeah, with with uh, Tiger hoping to defend and and the Masters being in November, and you know what the temperatures are like in this part of the country in November. It starts to get cold every year here around Halloween. Curious to get mm-hmm. your thoughts on uh, what you expect from Tiger. Is is this a a good chance for him because he's got more time to rest, or is this a, a the opposite? Is because it's going to be colder and it's going to be sort of condensed. So maybe it robbed him of an opportunity to get number 16 or maybe even 17. Well, uh, you know, it's a great question, Kristen. It's, it's obviously the PGA and all the the supposed schedule, which obviously is still subject to change, as we know, because we don't know how this whole thing is going to play out. Uh, it, it's a really good question. and It all depends, I think, on Tiger's state of mind. I think he'll be healthy. Here's the thing, though. That period, even though there'll be a month between, well, I don't, he's not gonna, I don't think he'll play in the right. I could be wrong, but, uh, you have the U.S. Open and then the Ryder Cup. And then you have, I think, three weeks or a month. I'm not really sure until the Masters is played. I think he's gonna have plenty of time to be healthy in November when they, when they play the Masters. Um, I think that'll help him. Uh, it's, it's all a question of, how, you know, with, with this whole schedule, we don't know how this is going to affect anybody, really. Um, guys are going to be taking different weeks off. They're moving all these tournaments around. I think if Tiger's healthy, I still believe he's going to win another major or maybe two. I really do. Um, and of course, that's, that's what I'm hoping for because he's, you know, he's my guy. You know, we talk so, all the time. He's, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's ready for this, but however it plays out. By the way, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but, uh, there's a thing on Twitter. I think the Twitter account is called Scratch. I think it's a nine and a half minute video of a clinic that Tiger did when he was 16 with his father, Earl Wood. And if you haven't seen it, your listeners haven't seen it, you have got to, it's just fast, just, to, it's beautiful to watch, to see the shots he hits and as a 16 year old, how unbelievably confident 
and poised he was. It's fantastic. Matthew, just a couple more before I let you go. And, and you're also a big Seve Ballesteros fan. And I was talking to Mr. Wright a little bit about Seve and, and asked, you know, what was so captivating to him because they were friends. And he said mm. that Seve, Seve saw shots that other people couldn't imagine. And the, the, the majestic way he would get out of trouble because he, we know, I know he wasn't the straightest driver of the golf ball, but he was still a long hitter. I mean, back again, back in the days right. of Persimmon Woods and, and a lot of golf balls, he was hitting balls over 300 yards. But, uh, I was curious, uh, because I don't think we've ever talked about what it was about Seve that attracted him to you. Well, to me, from the very first time I saw him and I started watching golf, um, you know, before I started playing, I mean, I loved sports, even though I wasn't really playing golf. Uh, I watched golf in the 70s. And I watched, you know, once I started playing, uh, as a matter of fact, the very first email address that I ever got. So you know how long ago we're talking now. The first computer I got. Uh, you got an AOL account, and, uh, you know, whatever it was, uh, had the word Seve. And it still does to this day. I've never changed it. He, I thought he was like a, a great actor, um, which I, I, when I first saw him, I, I hadn't really had any kind of acting career. Um, but it was like he commanded every time you look at him in a tournament, he com- the command he had, the charisma he had, how good looking he was. And oh yeah, he was brilliant on top of it. Um, the passion that he had for the game, uh, and it was because of the way, what a great way to say it, that he saw shots nobody else could imagine. Um, not only saw them and then executed them, made him, you know, the guy that you always wanted to see. It would have been, Seve wouldn't have been Seve if he hit it down the middle all the time and kind of, you know, played like Zach Johnson. Or somebody. He was savvy because he didn't do that. And uh, he's always been my idol. Always. I love that now. And again, because of golf, Twitter, and all the friends we've made on Twitter, that his son, Javier, uh, and I follow each other. And I I constantly post things (laughs) about Seve. And, you know, when I just see on Twitter that Javier liked it or sends me a little tweet or something. It really means something to me because that's Sevy's son. Um, he's just, he's always been my idol. He always will be. Matthew, before I let you go, remind our listeners again about your show, Backspin Golf, how they can listen and, uh, and also follow you on social media. Well, uh, social media is on Twitter is at real, R-E-A-L, Lauro, L-A-U-R-O, and the number five. Laura, by the way, is my soccer. That's what I'm called in Europe. Oh, when they, when they okay. Speak I always me. wondered about that. Uh, yeah, that's that's where it's from because I'm a huge soccer star in in Europe. <laughs> 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 that's my Twitter account, Real Laura Five. Uh, and Backspin Golf is on from eight oh three till nine every Sunday morning. You can go to wlxg.com and hit listen live. Uh, is a great way to do it or uh, on our app. And, you know, as I always tell you, 
I'm not the only one that says this, but your support of all of us in that do what we do is there's nobody better than you, Chris, uh, all kidding aside. And that, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on me knowing you're listening every Sunday. And so I got to like <laughs> step up to the plate. It's a lot of pressure. And frankly, it's starting to annoy me a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Again, it's a blessing that I get to do it and that I get to talk with you and all the great people I get to talk with. Oh, Matthew, I pre- first of all, I appreciate that very, very much. And uh, I appreciate your support. And it means a great deal to me as well. Um, you're the best, my friend. I, I can't thank you enough for everything that you have uh, meant in my life. I've told you this before, uh, probably a long time ago when we first started this friendship. But to think that Matthew Lawrence even knows what my name is is a huge thrill to me. You know uh, how much I admired your work as an actor and Eddie and the Cruisers and Streets of Fire and everything that you did. But um, mm. you're a blessing, my friend, and I can't thank you enough. Right back at you, pal. I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe. All right. Be well. Be safe. See you, Matthew. You Bye. That's a great Matthew Lawrence, folks. Backspin Golf is his show. It's my regular 8.03 a.m. tea time every Sunday morning. You can listen to it by going to WLXG.com or download the WLXG app. That's ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. Not a finer person you will find. Uh, he means uh, the world to me and always uh, always makes this segment so much fun. Look forward to catching up with Matthew again soon. All right. Before I get to my next guest, Bill Abrams, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can uh, follow them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com or on Twitter, PVibesGolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts. They're a great on-course training aid as well because you can't help but stay positive and put a smile on your face every time you, you walk back to your golf bag, you look at your head covers. You're going to make, you're going to smile, you're going to laugh, you're going to have, you know, it's going to take away any of the tension that you have and it's going to make the round that much better. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. All right, now back with me is, is uh, one of the most decorated instructors in the game, and that's Bill Abrams. Let me remind you about Bill's background. Played his college golf at Lycoming College up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Became a member of the PGA of America back in 1993. He was named the Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year in 2004 and 2017. Named the Central Illinois PGA Professional of the Year in 2005 and 12. Won the Horton Smith Award uh, for uh, the state of Illinois in the PGA section there in 2005. And that award is given annually to a, a golf professional for their outstanding and continuing contributions in developing and improving educational opportunities uh, for professionals. And in this case, an Illinois PGA professional. He's been recognized as a U.S. Kids Top 50 teacher and a master teacher, it seems like, every year. Uh, 2015, the State of Illinois PGA Professional of the Year, and in 2019, the Illinois Teacher of the Year. And I love the tagline of his website, and that's BillAbrams.com. It is specializing in making players smile, and he's doing that for me right now, and I can't thank him enough for coming back and being part of the show. Hey, Bill, how are you, my friend? Awesome, Chris. Thanks so much for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I appreciate you. You staying safe, staying healthy. How are you and the family? Uh, everything's good. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just some crazy time, but, uh, as I've said, I'm 53 now. I've lived through a few of these, uh, things that have, uh, <laughs> flesh eating viruses and stuff and have made it through. So I don't expect I'm not going to make it through this one. So that's the whole idea. 
<laughs> Indeed. So, Bill, and I've, and I've talked to several of your peers over the last few weeks, and, and my heart goes out to the, the PGA and LPGA professionals, because I, I got to imagine, because you guys are like small businesses out there. I got to imagine this is hitting you hard, hitting the, uh, the practice range hard and the, and the, and the lessons and that sort of thing. How you doing? How, how are things on the, on, uh, on your practice team? Yeah, well, everything, uh, both of my, uh, clubs, one in Florida and the one in Illinois are, are shut down now, um, in Illinois per state, uh, requirements and in, uh, Florida for the, uh, Broward County requirements. So I've got to be a little more, uh, a little more creative. I've been doing, uh, I'm starting some Zoom calls with students this week. Um, I've done some, uh, Facebook live things. Uh, we always have, uh, online video lessons available as well so i've been kind of leaning on those a little bit with people being shut in a little uh you know we have some wonderful drills that people can do in the house backyard uh in the garage wherever need be to actually have them coming out playing really good plus doing some uh mental uh mental work mental mastery thing yeah so a couple of things there bill so first of all as you're starting to get into the video world, if, if folks out here are listening in and saying, you know, gee, I'd love to get a lesson from Bill Abrams, how can they do it? What, uh, what video app are you using? I know you said Zoom and Facebook Live, but are there some ways people can send you videos that you can critique and get back? Yeah, right. Uh, they can, my, uh, a couple of different ways. I've got an app at uh, Bill Abrams Golf or Golf Solutions Academy. You can download it and uh, submit video that way. There's also the ability uh, just by using Huddle, which is a free, uh, free app, and then firing it on. You're just simply taking a uh, a picture and texting or emailing it to me with your cell phone. And Bill, as, as you mentioned a moment ago, with all of us kind of sheltering in place, I, I was wondering if you could share a, a drill or two that we can do at home, whether it's in our living rooms, in our garages, or out in the backyard that we can be doing to keep our games in shape. Well, one of the one of the that uh, that players, as we develop better players, they go down level to level. Short game is something in wedge play is absolutely, and I'm not uh, being a smart aleck or trying to be a cliche guy, but the wedge play as you grow level gets better and better and better. And one of the, the common mistakes I see your recreational players make is the length of their backswing and the length of their through swing do not match on a pitch shot. In other words, they'll take the club back way too far and slow it down and have it not come through far enough, or they'll take it too short back and make it go through too far. Um, all of which really creates a lot of manipulation in the, in the motion. One of the things I, I suggest players do is, um, even if they have carpet in the backyard, um, even putting a magazine down is taking some half length swings. So basically, you know, anywhere from knee high to waist high, and work on letting the club head swing back to belt high, waist high, and then allow it to swing through to waist high, making sure that it's even. And you'll notice something when you do this: your balance will be very, very good on both sides, back swing and the through swing. It really comes down to being able to stick the finish on the way through, and I see that as a big problem with a lot of players. They just don't get their, themselves to complete the swing and, and that creates all kinds of uh all kinds of issues from the uh you know from the one that's uh the unmentionable to the chunk and the skull and everything in between. 
So from a visual perspective, as we you, you talk about completing the swing, are you a proponent, let's say, if I'm going to take a, a, a shorter backswing, maybe 9 o'clock, so I go 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock and, and try to make sure that my backswing and my forward, my through swing match? Is that what I'm looking for? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to make sure that that happens because what that will do is it will prevent the deceleration. Normally, most players, what will happen is they'll end up taking it back further than the 9 o'clock, say, for instance. They'll get it back to almost 12 and then shut it off around six uh, on the way through, maybe get to five, and then it just creates a chunk shot, a skull shot. Um, you know, the ones that really uh, make you want to, you think a bad word, and then unfortunately it might come out. <laughs> right. Bill, um, a couple areas I want to talk about that I know that I struggle in my game, and, and, and so do some of my buddies. And, and one of the things that I've noticed on uh on, on my drives is as I sort of I tend to finish in a reverse C. And now I see all the guys on tour, boy, they're nice and, and perpendicular. And I've seen a video uh, that you've put together, same sort of thing. Nice on balance, perpendicular to the ground on the finish. How can I do a better mm-hmm. job of achieving that finish? Well, a real simple drill that I have players utilize to do that is you go ahead and grip the driver. Then you split your hands. You want to have your hand, uh, the top hand to the bottom hand, at least the width of one of your hands apart. So basically at the, at the top of the grip is your top hand and the bottom of the grip is your, uh, your uh, lower hand, your trail hand. Take some practice with those hands separate. Because what you're going to find out when you do that, if you fall back into that reverse C, you will feel, it'll feel extremely awkward. What'll happen is with your hands apart, when you make that swing, your, your body pivots and rotates through the, the, as a right-handed player, your right arm will cover or go over top of your left hand and get you into a nice, tall, uh, perpendicular finish, a nice, tall, high balance finish. And Bill, moving, uh, moving up to the green. One of the other struggles I have with my putting stroke is I tend to take the putter outside the line. I tend to, move it, you know, instead of, you know, either straight forward and straight back or even on a, a bit of an arc like the swing, I tend to take it outside the line and have to move it back. It's almost like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm slicing my putt. What is, what's a drill okay. I can do to make, the, to improve that back? Well, you know, first I'd have to go ahead and see him because there's been some good putters that have had it come across and slice. Billy Mayfair, <laughs> he did pretty good. He's the only guy to beat Tiger in a playoff, so. Uh, that putting stroke worked until he decided to change it. But, you know, one of the things that we can see, though, with that uh, that back and through, uh, trying to make it work a little bit better, something as simple as setting up, um, you know, the edge. We're inside now putting a book down and putting um, parallel to it. So the toe of the putter never hits the book on the backswing and allows you to keep the putter a little bit more in front of your chest on the way through as opposed to getting outside. One of the things I would see a lot of times when players get it outside, they might actually be a little too close to the golf ball. So you might want to look at your distance from the ball as well. And Bill, kind of back all the way up, you know, from a, from a warm up routine perspective, I know so many times when my buddies and I are playing, you know, we're driving up about 10 minutes before our tea time and, you know, we're stiff and it's, you know, we, we sit and wonder why for the first four holes, we, we can't break, you know, we were double bogey in our way for the first four holes. And then 
then we start to play a heck of a lot better. So if we want to do it right, is there a warm-up routine that you uh, you instruct your uh, students to do in order so that they feel good and they're ready to go when it's tea time? Yeah, you know, and it's really personal. Like competitive players, we have we have uh, three to four different routines that we utilize from 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and 15, depending on the individual and how much time they have. For the recreational player, what I would recommend, uh, real simply, Take nine iron or pitching wedge and hit six what you feel starting out, maybe three half swings and then three fuller swings with the nine iron or the pitching wedge. Move over to the, to the seven iron, hit three full shots with the seven iron, whether they're on the tee or not. Then go back, grab your uh, middle wedge, your pitching wedge, or your gap wedge, hit two shots with that. Come back, hit three shots with the driver or until you pierce perfect, and you're set to go. I mean, that's really as simply put with a, with a hitting warm up. Uh, that's really all we need. However, if you have a, a practice bunker, a uh, short game area, I would go there first, to be quite honest with you. I'd put a few balls, then go to the chipping and pitching area, then go ahead and hit those balls with that, uh, that little bit of a short warm up I just, uh, discussed. Once we go through that, uh, that method, you're going to, you're going to begin to see that you're, you're kind of warming yourself to that good contact, that, that ability to hit the ball pretty solid. It's not so much working in your game at this point. It's really focusing on the, the one key to your swing, whether it's sticking the finish, whether it's taking a little bit more of a, a, a deliberate backswing. And that's really what you want to focus on in that warm up. Not so much, um, you know, how perfect the shot went. But that one little key that you have to keep your mind on to hit really good shots. Bill, just a couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned at the top uh, a partnership that you have with Blast Motion. Talk about what Blast Motion is. Yeah, Blast is a is a really uh, it's a really neat uh, measuring tool that players can utilize with every club in their bag. Uh, it's a little sensor that, that goes on the, the butt end of the grip and it works through Bluetooth on your, uh, on your mobile device or your tablet and it'll give you time of the swing. Not so much, you can measure the length of the back swing with putting, but it, it, it measures the time. So it would give you a ratio with putting, uh, 0.6 seconds back, 0.3 seconds through, which would be a two to one ratio, uh, which is, pretty much the tour standard. Everybody's a little bit different, but this, what it allows you to do is find out where your sweet spot is with these times. Uh, the, the tour averages are the tour averages, but your averages might be a little bit off, but we can identify when you're hitting your best shots in these times, then we can go ahead and practice and try to hit on these times. And, you know, they've added some new things. They've got their new, uh, their uh, 4.1 uh, came out. And it's uh, just an absolutely crazy, crazy good um, practice device because you can utilize bunker shots, tipping, uh, more with the full swing. But uh, really, the the bread and butter of it started with putting. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, I, I, again, it's a wonderful tool. If there was, if you were to spend money on one practicing, I, I would say that would probably be a very, very good one. Um, and you will definitely get your money's worth out of it. Bill, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with you? Maybe get a, a video lesson. What are all the different ways they can reach out to you, whether it's online or it's on social media? 
Yeah, the, the simplest way to get me is just go to my uh, uh, website, Bill Abrams Golf, B-I-L-L-A-B-R-A-M-S, golf.com. I'm also on Facebook, um, BillAbramsGolf.com, on Facebook, my Facebook page. My uh, Twitter handle is at Bill Abrams Golf, and Instagram is uh, the same, Bill Abrams Golf. So uh, get me at any one of those places. Uh, phone number is 630-926-4554 for those of you that are old-fashioned like me. We can still do it the old-fashioned way, too. <laughs> That's fantastic. Bill, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. Always have a good time. Always learn something every time you come on the right, show. I hope you come back and join me again and soon. And hopefully when I'm, head, uh, when I'm heading through your, your uh, neck of the woods, maybe we'll get out and play around, okay? Ah, I love that. You got it. That is uh, the great Bill Abrams. And again, he's uh, one of the most decorated instructors in the game. Go check him out online, BillAbramsGolf.com. And, and uh, the teaching professionals right now are you know, looking at uh, different ways and uh, to get lessons to you guys. Zoom call, Facebook Live, a bunch of different video apps. The V1 app is another great one. So go check him out. Look forward to getting uh, Bill back on the show again real soon. All right, now back with me. And I'm honored to say this. For an eighth time, is my favorite author and one of my favorite all-time individuals, and that's Keith Hirschland. Keith has become a wonderful friend over the last several years. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV producer. He's produced shows for ESPN and ESPN2 plus the Golf Channel. Keith was among the original people that started the Golf Channel back in 1995. He's now written four books, so let's go through them. Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In, Tales Tales of the Two from a Broadcast Brat, my all-time favorite book, folks, and that's not just because Keith is coming on the show. I've been saying that for years. And if you haven't read that book and you love sports and you want to get some behind-the-scenes broadcasting stuff, best book ever. He's also written books titled Big Flies, The Flower Girl Murder, and the uh, the newest book that's about to come out, Murphy, Murphy, and the Case of Serious Crisis, which you can pre-order, like I did, out on Amazon.com. And I can't, I can't tell you enough how excited I am about that book and extremely excited to have Keith back as part of the show. Hey Keith, how are you, my friend? How you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Are you really? Have you really been crazy enough to invite me on your show eight times? Eight times, my friend, and it's not nearly. <laughs> I'm already excited. We haven't finished number eight. And I'm already looking forward to number nine. If that tells you. Uh, me too. Me too. I just I want to thank you for uh, for including me in another great lineup. You always have great guests. I you know like you. I was I was taking notes as Bill was talking because I. Uh, I suffer from a reverse C finish as well. And so I was getting some great tips from him. And you always have such informative and entertaining guests. I'm just proud to be a, proud to be a part of your lineup. I hope you're staying safe, my friend. Yeah, I am. I, you know, how, how about you, Sarah, and the family? You guys doing all right out there? We're doing okay. Yeah, we're hanging in there. You know, Colorado Springs is, uh, is, you know, everybody's pretty much, you know, sheltered in place, but you can get, you know, to the grocery store, you can get, um, the essential things that you need. Sarah's been working from home for a couple of weeks now and uh, trying to manage that process. But uh, they just a couple of days ago opened up two of the city golf courses. So uh, that's good news. We're probably going to get out and play some golf here if the weather stays nice. Uh, we're right next to the great Broadmoor Resort, but they closed that down a month ago and aren't going to open until the end of May again. So we can't play golf there. But there are a couple of city courses where we can get out swing the club and enjoy some nature as long as we're six feet apart from each other. <laughs> and I, I tell you, Keith, 
Um, and for those who don't know, Keith Weisterer is the CEO of the U.S. Olympic Committee. Had to be a challenging time for her right now with the postponing of the summer games and, and everything that that's going to mean. How is how are things going for her? Um, you know, it uh, feels like I'm sure like she's uh, swimming upstream ever since uh, you know she she was fortunate enough to to take over this role and and represent all the great athletes of Team USA for the last uh, 18 months, a little more than 18 months. Um, you know, there have been challenges, but uh, I have never seen a more uh, uh, person, a, a person more up to the challenge and somebody that she goes to bed thinking about the athletes of Team USA and how to make, how to make the USOPC better and, and gets up in the morning with the same attitude. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 an, it's, uh, it's just so great to, to be around her as, as she navigates through these, these difficult waters. But yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Um, you know, we were really looking forward to, to our first Olympic games with her in this role. And, um, you know, it's just going to have to wait a year, but some good things came out of it. I have to tell you, they had a, a great story is they had, $150,000 worth of food and nutrition that was all packed up and ready to go to Tokyo to feed the athletes of Team USA. So now all of that is being dispersed in the Colorado Springs area to food banks and people in need. So, uh, you know, every once in a while, something good comes out of a crisis. But all in all, um, I think we'd still be rather heading to Tokyo in July. Keep switching gears a little bit, and as I mentioned in your intro, you've you've got a new book, Murphy Murphy, that uh, is uh, going to be coming out pretty soon. Talk about uh, talk about that book and what we can look forward to reading in that. Well, thanks for letting me talk about it. It was it's uh, I have to say of the of the four books, uh, it was without a doubt the most fun to write. Um, you know, I I, I approached the project. Um, not being, not being really sure whether or not I would be able to complete the project. I had the idea of a, uh, of a, a person or a detective who is, has a particular aversion to redundant phrases. So the title, uh, obviously has a couple of them. Murphy Murphy, of course, is, is redundant as is serious crisis. But I thought, can I write an entire book, um, around this, this kind of storyline? And, and, you know, in the end, I, I managed to accomplish that and, got somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 redundant phrases in the book, including things like plan ahead and unexpected surprise and new beginning and, and uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, things that people a lot of times use in their everyday language, but are just redundant phrases. And those things drive Murphy Murphy crazy as he works to solve a case uh, that comes to uh, an inevitable conclusion. So it was a lot of fun to write. And, um, Folks that know me and and know uh, about what I've done and have worked, maybe worked with me in the past will recognize a number of the names in the book. Uh, I took liberties uh, with everybody's permission, and uh, so I think they'll get a kick out of that. But I hope that everybody finds it just a fun read. Just you know, it's it's light and breezy, and um, pretty much uh, I, I think a good read for the entire family. I think it's a lot of fun. I hope. Anyway. When is it going to? Yeah, I'm sure it is. I can't wait to read it because I think I know a couple of the uh, the characters in the book. Oh, so yeah. when oh, yeah. when is when is it? <laughs> yeah, when's it going to be available? It is available available for pre order now, uh, May first. 
Amazon will start and Amazon and Barnes and Noble will start to ship it. So if you order it, if you go on Amazon or go to keithherson.com, you can order all of my books there. But um, if you go on Amazon and search Murphy Serious Crisis, it'll come up. It's an ebook and a paperback. And the great folks at Beacon Publishing Group have uh, assured me that it will also soon be an audiobook, which I'm really excited about because I've never had uh, one of my one of my books turned into an audiobook. But um, I'm I'm looking forward to everybody reading it and and telling me what they think of it and and I'm already started on number five and the CT Mascaro character is uh, flushed out and has has uh, found his place in in uh, from pen to paper. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome! I can't certainly can't <laughs> wait to read that one. But uh, I'll start with Murphy. Murphy, make my way to number five. Thank you very much for that. That's, that's fantastic. Keith, I, I want to switch gears and I want to talk a little bit about something that um, you know our, our mutual friend Matthew Lawrence and I were talking about a little earlier. It's driving kind of both of us nuts. When uh, when I turn on the Golf Channel now, I see things like the second round of the Texas Valero Open. I see things like the WGC from you know 2018, the second round, and I'm thinking to myself. With all of the great historical tournaments available for mm-hmm. us to watch, who who would who's <laughs> dying to see the second round of last year's Texas Valero Open when you could be showing me the the final round of any number of the great majors throughout the, the course of time? Why do you think that, that we're forced to watch that instead of something better? Well, I could I could probably channel some of my old programming friends who worked at the golf channel and and if i did that i would i would guess that there are there are a couple of reasons and i mean i think that most everybody there is smart enough to know that um that people would rather be watching the things that you just mentioned than the second round of the valero texas open but i kind of think i i would guess that there is some contractual obligation with the broadcasting rights of the tour and these tournaments that part part of the con- I know that when we used to when I used to broadcast events when I used to be sitting in the chair if we had a rain delay or a rain out our contractual obligation was to show that same tournament from either the day before if the it rained out Thursday we'd have to show it rained out Friday we'd have to show Thursday's coverage if it rained out Thursday the the rain delay programming would be the year previous is telecast and that was in the con i mean that was in the contract we didn't have a choice um so if we couldn't come up with a live broadcast of that year's event we were contractually obligated to show that same event from either a, a previous day or a previous year i would guess that maybe that figures into some of it i don't know why it's constantly airing I don't know why they can't fulfill that contractual <laughs> obligation by airing it once and then air um, something a little more, you know, fun to watch or, or a little different. In case, and, and the only thing I would also say, and, you know, the smart folks at the Golf Channel would give you a better answer, but, um, you know, maybe they don't have the broadcast rights anymore to air those great old Shell's wonderful world of golf. I mean, there may have been yes. a... a a time, a time constraint in that contract originally that said you have the right to air these for 10 years or 12 years and they don't have that anymore. So 
I, you know, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing, but I think that um, I'm also guessing that there are some folks in the programming department at the Golf Channel right now that are uh, that are pulling their hair out right along with with the viewers <laughs> like you and our dear friend Matthew. <laughs> Looking ahead to the PGA Tour, whatever we have left uh, for a schedule, and we don't know what that is yet. I think we've we've learned about the, some of the majors, but. What are your thoughts? If if you look ahead to what we know at this point with the three majors coming between August and November and, and losing the Open Championship for this year, what do you think about the fall run of the majors and the Ryder Cup? Man, uh, you know, if I, I'm going to I'm going to take the, the view of the, the rose colored glasses view and the eternal optimist view and say, let's let's pretend that's going to happen. What an amazing fall, end of summer, fall, early winter, sports fans are going to have. Um, you know, baseball is going to try and play. Football will be back. College football will be back. Golf majors will be on. Um, you know, the NBA will probably be trying to do something. It's just going to be a smorgasbord of incredible sports viewing if it all happens. Um, you know, I think golf is one of those um, sports that theoretically you could see coming back maybe quicker than some of the others because you can practice social distancing on the golf course. It's going to be so weird uh, watching a golf tournament on TV without any any gallery, but I think that's going to happen. I think that's going to happen first with a lot of these leagues uh, because the, the money and the television revenue is so huge that um, if they can get a product out there that networks can televise and people can watch, that's going to go a long way to helping uh, the bottom line of a lot of a lot of companies. But it's just going to be strange. But I think golf, you know, I, I'd like to think golf, tennis, maybe, um, you know, those are the kind of sports where I could see them playing uh, and, you know, initially without fans, but on TV and and we're all enjoying it. I, you know, I hope, gosh, I hope Chris, um, you know, it's been two weeks, two and a half weeks and I'm already going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Same. And I, what, what would you think? think? I mean, as think? A per- well, I don't, you know, so I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to see the glasses half full that I'm hoping for. I think it would be a heck of a run, right. To be able to go from August to, you know, sort of, mid-November of three majors and a Ryder Cup from a golf perspective. Yep. I think it would be odd, though. I'm, I I don't know what I would feel like watching a golf tournament or any sporting event with no fans, no crowd noise, no clapping, no cheering. I, I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. I was cur- curious to get your thoughts on that. Like, as a producer, how you know, yeah. you're not getting any of the, the back nine roars or the the people, you know, a guy hits a home run. You know, and there's like, you know, hey, you know, somebody in the, yeah. in the dugout says something. You yeah. know, that's no, odd true. to me. It's really odd, and it's true. As a, as a, you know, the guys in the truck, I re- I remember, uh, you know, hundreds of times where the energy that was, you know, the the energy from a, a player hitting a great shot that that rippled through the crowd and the and the roar and the and the and the excitement that. You know, that energy just, you know, went all the way through the production trucks and, you know, the excitement of, you know, it just adds to 
the energy and, and what's going on in the truck and the way you work and the way you interact with your with your announcers and with the way the director inter- interacts with the camera guys, you know, give me the crowd and give me the reaction of the player and give me the caddy and back to the crowd. And, you know, when there isn't that, um, that's going to be going to be quite a challenge. I will say, though, that probably Matthew is probably more used to watching TV without sound than most of us, because from what I understand, he mutes almost everything. So he's, <laughs> he, 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 it, it won't be, it won't be much different for him. No, I, I kid, I kid. I love him <laughs> to death. And, uh, but it's, you know, it's going to, it's not only going to be strange watching at home, but, you know, I can, I can see the, the, the production folks out on site. Um, just what a, what a weird, eerie experience that, that's going to be if, if that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of picturing in my mind, you know, a, a great golf shot. You know, Tiger would chip one in, you know, for for Eagle or Birdie to take a lead, and there's a there's the fist pump, and then but there's nothing, there's no sound. It's it just like you know what happened. It's sort of sort of a right? you know a, yeah, I mean, just like an apocalyptic thing. There's there's this great play or great shot or a big home run, and there's no sound to it. Yeah, weird. For the purists, it would be blasphemy, but you know, there are, you know, one channel of a recording of every, uh, of every shot in the truck is, is crowd only. And I could see, you know, a couple of producers and sound guys experimenting with, let's roll in a huge crowd roar when Tiger chips in and see how that, you know, see how anybody feels about that. It would be totally manufactured. But it wouldn't surprise me if if some people might try that. What's your thought on the on the RNA deciding to to cancel the uh, the Open Championships with the other three going on? They seem to call it off pretty early. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Well, I, you know, they, uh, I, you know, I was surprised. Um, I I don't know anything about their business or their business model, and um, you know, would would be the one billion person on the planet to second guess any decision that they made but um, it seemed odd to me that while everybody else was postponing and you know trying to figure out a, a date in this new um, glass half full schedule that they just went ahead and canceled um, I know there was an article early on about about a, an, an insurance policy that if they had they had to have a cancellation by a certain date I I don't know if that there's any truth to that but um, I, I just, maybe it's, uh, they don't have the daylight that time of year that it takes for them to conduct the championship in the way that they want to conduct the championship or, you know, the weather that is always unpredictable, maybe is more unpredictable at that time of year. I don't you know, there are a lot of questions I have, but again, like the folks programming at the golf channel, there were smarter people than me in that room making that decision. So, um, I'm guessing that someday we'll get the full story. But right now, uh, sadly, we just have to live with that decision. Keith, uh, like I say, just a couple more before I let you go. And and as a guy who produced live golf events for years, talk about the challenge. You talk about going to different shots and all of that sort of thing. Talk about the challenge of keeping up with players that are hitting simultaneous shots all over a golf course and being able to stay up to date with the you know all the great things that are happening. How do you capture all of it? Luckily. Uh, if you're lucky, and I was, um, you have a great team around you. Uh, you are surrounded by, and I was, 
lucky enough to have the what I felt were the best people in the business at my side. And, um, you know, it's the a, a producer at a, of a golf event of a golf telecast makes hundreds of decisions um, an hour, and they have to always decide, you know, what player they're going to show at what time, in what order, which players they're going to show live, which players they're going to record and then show uh, as a moment ago or just earlier. Um, which is a redundant phrase that Murphy Murphy would not like. Um, and then when to go to commercial, you know, I mean, golf, you and I have talked about this. Golf is one of those rare sports, television sports, where they don't have built-in commercials. So that's another thing the producer has to decide is, when am I going to go to commercial? Because there isn't a whistle. They don't stop play. Um, you know, there's not a TV timeout at the four-minute mark. So, you know, the producer also has to decide, well, as soon as Tiger makes this putt for birdie, before he gets to the next tee, I'm going to break because I know I got two and a half minutes before Tiger gets to the next tee to tee off. So all those decisions are going on. And, and believe me, I had plenty of help and I thank those guys. You know, I thank them every day, I hope. And I thank them every day now that they were by my side. But it's not, it's not easy, but it's a ton of fun. And the technology has made it a lot easier because when I first started, we had four cases in the truck. You know, you could only record four shots at a time. And those shots had to be, once you recorded it, you had to stop the recording, re- rewind it, and then wait for the producer to call for it to play it back. So during that time, that tape machine was out of commission. Now they have digital recorders that can record and play back at the same time. They can have every single camera fed into the truck that is recording nonstop. So the chances of a, of a producer missing a shot in a golf tournament for television today it's almost non-existent. When I first started out, we missed. <laughs> I wish I had a dollar for every shot I missed when I first started out in this business because uh, you had to, you know, it was a juggling act and you had to, you know, most of the time you came up right, but there were a lot of times when we left, maybe the best shot of the day never got recorded. Keith, one more for you. And, and um, I, I'm pretty sure there isn't somebody who is more universally well-spoken about than you. And that includes to uh, a couple of weeks ago when I had the privilege of uh, having Craig Tan on the show. Um, wanted to get your memories of Craig. I know you guys started out there at the Golf Channel together. What was it like in those early days with uh, with Craig? Uh, Craig Craig is the consummate professional, and I mean that uh, with every with every fiber. Um, he always was. He came. He brought uh, his best to every broadcast. And, you know, he came from, he came from, I think he came from Kalamazoo, Michigan. He was working as a, as an anchor at Kalamazoo, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, came to the golf channel and started out on the golf central desk and then was a reporter out on site. Uh, We'd run into each other every once in a while, always friendly. We, you know, enjoyed each other's company. And then the decision was made that Craig was going to do some live tournaments. So we had Craig um, out as, as both, uh, a play-by-play announcer, a play-by-play host, and an on-course reporter. And, you know, he was always just, you know, did his homework. He came prepared, uh, you know, took took direction, didn't mind it when I yelled at him, uh, except once when he, uh, Greg, uh, Jeff Fluman won the BC Open one year. And Craig and Jeff were good friends. And Craig was following him. He was the on-course announcer for Jeff's group. And as soon as Jeff made the winning putt, Craig 
in, in the excitement of the moment, watching his good friend win a golf tournament, went out onto the green and gave Jeff a high five. <laughs> and uh, I think I said every bad word my mother told me never to say in the truck. Um, and most of them I said into Craig Kant's ear at the time. <laughs> but uh, he forgave me. Uh, we remained friends. And um, we're still <laughs> friends to this day. And uh, I love the guy. He's a great broadcaster. He's doing great things these days. He's great at the LPTA. I will have to say, though, Chris, I'm, I'm thrilled that you say people speak highly of me. But it's funny how the, the longer I've been away from the business, the better I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, you know, it's like they, you know, like they say, you know, of uh, any large population, right? You know, like you know, ten, you know, hundred million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's roughly the same number of of broadcast people in the business. You know, that many people can't be wrong. And uh, since no, I, I've gotten I to know you over the last everyone. several years, I appreciate you too, man. You're a great friend, and you, you're great at what you do. You you provide a service, and and thank you so much for for keeping yourself safe so you can do these shows and, and keep people entertained and informed. It's just so important and you're so good at it that uh, I wish you every success. Well, I, I same back to you. You're, you're a tremendous human being, Keith, and I can't thank you enough for your friendship and your support. It means everything to me. And, and uh, before I let you go, remind our listeners one more time how they can get your new book, Murphy Murphy, <laughs> and then also check out the other ones as well. Yeah, I guess the easiest way to do it is just to go to Keith, Hirschland.com, K-E-I-T-H-H-I-R-S-H-L-A-N-D.com. All the books are there. You can also find my blog there. Care. I'm on Twitter at K-H-H-Author, and I'm also on Instagram at the same address, K-H-H-Author. And I appreciate everybody taking a look at the book. I think you'll really enjoy the behind-the-scenes stories of Cover Me Boys, and, and I hope you enjoy the, the fiction books, too. Well, Keith, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Always so much fun when you're a part of it. I can't thank you enough. Hope you'll come back and join me again soon. You know I will. Number nine, anytime you ask. There you go. <laughs> Appreciate you. Stay safe, stay healthy, my friend. All the best to you and Sarah. You too with your family. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Keith. That's the great Keith Hersland. Boy, it wraps up a heck of a show tonight. I, I, You know, when you think about how great Keith is, and again, he's my favorite author in that book, Cover Me Boys, I'm going in, is, is as good as it's going to get. If you love sports and you love behind the scenes for broadcasting and what goes on, it doesn't get better than that book. And like I say, it's, uh, it's, uh, I've read it a few times now. It's, it's absolutely my all-time favorite. And then uh, Murphy Murphy is one that I have a lot of anticipation for because, as we said during the conversation, I think I know a couple of the characters, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they play out in the book uh, and, the, and the huge honor. To be a part of number five is uh, is something that uh, that moves me very deeply. I, I can't thank Keith enough for thinking enough of me to want me to be a character in one of his books. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. But um, what a night! You know, Ben Wright, the great Ben Wright, and getting to talk golf and Masters and memories with him, and and my good friend Matthew Lawrence, and uh, you know, congratulations again to him for the uh, well deserved honor that he got from the uh, Kentucky PGA of America section. And uh, it put in between there, you know, Bill Abrams, one of the most decorated instructors in the game. And uh, to top it off with Keith Hirschland, boy, it just doesn't get any better than that, folks. Thanks uh, to all of them for being a part of the show tonight. So we're going to put a bow on this edition. Again, thanks to all of them. Please 
check out our website, nextonthetea.net. You'll be able to stay up to date with uh, what my guest schedule looks like. So we've got, we'll keep updating that as well. And you can stream or download any of our archive episodes. Uh, we link back to our page over on podcast.co, so that's podcast.co. Uh, you'll be able to stream or download any of our archived episodes from there. Plus, you'll also find us on great podcasting sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, AudioBoomPlayer.fm. If you've got a favorite podcasting site, this show is probably on it. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make this show a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.